Hey, NRL 22 fans. I'm here with Michelle Schroeder and Teresa Jurish. And last weekend, we spent some time down in Missouri at Thompson River Rifle Club. And I thought it would be really fun to do an episode with these two ladies um, who helped me teach a class down there. And it was a ladies only class. So we're going to talk about how to get more ladies involved in the sport today. So Michelle, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, like Ruth said, my name's Michelle. Um, I've been shooting rimfire for about three or four, it must be four years now. Um, when I started out shooting, there were pretty much no other women shooting uh, rimfire in Minnesota. And um, now there's a lot of us that do. Um, I shoot both rimfire and center fire, and I love it. Yeah, Michelle was was shooting before I was, and she was the only other lady at the, the range a lot of times. First time we met, she lent me a hat because I was there to, to watch. So I very much appreciated that, and so did my forehead, so it didn't get burned that day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, yep, Teresa. I've been shooting uh, rimfire for a year and a half-ish, and uh, got into it because Ruth here, my dear, uh, set up a class much like the one we just did this past weekend in Missouri, and it was definitely an eye-opening experience, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and of course, I've done nothing but <clears throat> get more involved as I've gone on with this, and it's been quite an adventure and uh, definitely fun to now get new ladies into the sport and keep growing. Yeah, we have a pretty, pretty big group of lady shooters in Minnesota. And I get this question a lot from, from people. And I ended up getting a couple of um, questions in the inbox specifically around how do we get more ladies involved in the sport? So I thought this would be a really good topic to cover, especially since it's fresh in our minds from last weekend. Uh, we taught a class with uh, 10 ladies. We had so four or five young guns in the class, four, four young, young guns, um, females and six adults. And we had such a fun time. Uh, we, we ended up, um, staying in a man cave. <laughs> the irony. I know the irony was great. It was fun. I was, I remember thinking, wow, there's a bunch of hens in the rooster house instead of the rooster in the hen house. And that was, that was a good time. So we, uh, really appreciated, you know, being invited down, uh, spent some time with these women. And, you know, I tried to grill them a little bit too, about their experiences and, you know, what helped them get involved. Um, so what did you guys notice? Like what commonalities did you notice about, you know, people when we asked those kinds of questions about how they got started or, what interested them or what helps them uh, be brave enough to get started? Um, there was a lot of uh, watching their significant others um, shoot, which I think is how a lot of women get started. They come and they watch and um, eventually maybe want to try. I know one of the gals said that uh, if she'd have had this kind of training, it would have been a lot easier to start out. Um, because learning from your significant other, as I think all of us would probably agree, is sometimes difficult. It's, uh, it's a, a lot less tears involved when you're not trying to learn from, from a significant <laughs> other, that's for sure. Definitely. Uh, what about you, Teresa? What do you think? Yeah, I think even the, <clears throat> the younger girls had uh, some familiarity. Many of them had done some hunting before and just were transitioning to this style of shooting, but I think it was still just the comfort of having 
uh, ladies only doing the training and ladies only kind of doing the guiding so that it was uh, a bit more comfortable. And even with that, it was still, you could still see hesitation. You could still see unsureness and just the exploration of how do I, how do I do this? Do I do this? What am I doing? Um, but there was definitely more comfort in having no men around. <laughs> right. One of the things that, I, that I've noticed uh, with teaching women versus teaching men the sport is for women, it seems like we really need to build our confidence up for us to even be willing to get started. Whereas for some of the men that I've taught, and this is not all men, so please don't take offense to our male listeners, but for a lot of the men, it's really about kind of bringing down their confidence level a little bit so that you can help rebuild them and in some more of the more correct methods of approaching things. So really, you know, it, it feels like, especially with the sport, men will dive in um, full boards on the whole and women tend to be a little less confident in their capabilities, even if they are diving in, like I, I kind of just jumped into it relatively quickly. But I remember, you know, being nervous, having people watch me shoot, for example, I still get like that, but it was really bad at the beginning. You know, I didn't really want to ask questions. I did anyway, but I didn't want to ask questions until I felt comfortable and kind of knew some of the terminology. So one of the things that we cover in the class early on is um, vocab. So we'll talk through a lot of the common terms uh, that, that you'll hear around the range so that people know the context of what that means. And then they don't feel as intimidated to ask questions because they know the right terminology to use and um, they can understand more of the lingo. So that's one of the things that I think really helps too. I think even with that, there's, there's so many terms and so many things that once you've been in the sport, you take for granted where some of the things that we didn't cover, even that were found during the class, there's so many things to add. It's like, how do you, how do you stop and not add everything? But at the same time, it's like, those basics and those basic terms that you don't have if you haven't been to a range, if you haven't done this style of shooting, there's so many things that are just, what's that and what's that acronym and what does that mean? And what does that, that truly translate to if you've never done this? So it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve and you can see the, the deer in the headlights kind of a look of, oh my gosh, there's so much information. How do I focus? Right. Well, I think that going over the, the terms before we went into the actual get out there and physically start shooting helps too, because now when, when those ladies and girls are in a shooting environment, when they're in the middle of a competition and they hear a term, they at least have heard it once before. Um, I don't know about other people, but for myself, like when I got involved in a, at that point, extremely male dominated sport, I didn't want to be the dumb girl. Um, and there was no one that treated me that way, but in the back of my mind, even when I had a question, I went, Oh, is this too dumb of a question to ask? Am I going to look like the the dumb girl? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a very valid concern that a lot of ladies feel. I, I felt the same way. Uh, I, I feel like there's not a single guy that I've come across either in the sport that hasn't been really accommodated, excited that I'm there, uh, excited to support me. I've, I've had so much support in this sport. And I think that's one of the great things about it, which is why I really want to continue to share this with other people, especially ladies. It's been a huge confidence builder for me. 
the biggest thing is, you know, getting over that first hurdle. And that's where something like an introductory class uh, to learn the terminology and to become familiar in a safe environment is so huge, especially when there's you know, no men around. Again, no offense to you guys. You guys are doing a great job being supportive, but there is something to be said about, you know, having a whole group of women all on the same page, all in the same environment, struggling and um, working through the same types of, you know, confidence issues and things like that, because you, you know, someone else is willing to ask a question, it makes it easier for you to ask that. And it does change the dynamic when there's, you know, even one male in the room. Um, I think having, you know, a, a male instructor might be different because that you're supposed to ask questions of that person. Uh, so I can't really speak to, you know, whether or not you have to have a female instructor, for example, I don't necessarily think that's true. But I think having a ladies only classroom of students is really helpful. Yeah, I know with the uh, class you put on that I went to, and I think there were like nine or 10 other ladies there and I knew no one. So I still even felt at that point in time, unsure and sure I had questions. Did I ask them? No, <laughs> even in that environment, it, it was very uncomfortable and very unsure. And yeah, I got over it and it's been a long time now and that's great. And I definitely saw some of that still with this and it's just, it's just different for ladies to have that confidence to be able to ask the questions and go, it's not a stupid question. It's just a question. It's just something I don't know. And there's a lot to learn. And the only way you learn is by asking questions and oftentimes, often then failing as you yes. figure it out <laughs> and doing it wrong and to figure out how to do it right. But having the courage to do things wrong. I think that was uh, one thing I saw at this weekend was us leading our, our crew or our squad of six ladies, right? And having them follow, but we'd go through the stages first and we would screw up on different occasions for different reasons. And we would call it out and just laugh at it, right? And just go, here's, here's what I did wrong. Learn from that, no big deal. I feel like guys do this more naturally than girls do. Or they heckle each other about what they did wrong. Right. And it's no yeah. big deal. Yeah. That's just how guys behave. And that's fine. That's how maybe you guys are trained or just the world is because ladies, we don't do that. Unfortunately, we, we learn to do that. Mm -hmm. We do. With comfort and time and experience. But mm -hmm. it, I don't think we start out that way, especially in a sport like this that is so male dominated. Well, and the heckling Ruth brings up, I think, is something that um, guys, really shooters in general, need to be aware of because um, while you're heckling your buddy, the new shooter, whether male or female, but especially female that's in your squad, might not take that so well. Um, so, you know, still have fun, but watch how much you're heckling because that if you've got a new shooter, it's not going to encourage them to ask questions if they see you um, giving your buddy a ton of crap um, over something that they did wrong. So right. just, just be aware of the audience that's around you mm -hmm. while you're doing it. I'm not saying don't do mm -hmm. it because we do it to ourselves. <laughs> and we do it to um, each other. But just when you've got new shooters, just be aware. Yeah, that's a really good point too. And I've, I've had a couple um, guys, especially in, in certain environments, and you guys know who you are, who just can't help themselves. And so it's going to be a, a, you know, a heckle squad, but they know not to do that to brand new people. And usually what I see is when a new person joins a squad, they say, Hey, this is how we are. This is how we act. 
don't be alarmed. This is normal for us. Um, and then, you know, that usually helps break the ice a little bit too with that. I think one of the really interesting things that I noticed this weekend, and it, it came to me when you were talking, Teresa, about how you were, you didn't know anyone in the class that you took and that you didn't want to ask questions there. The really cool thing about the class from this last weekend is almost all the ladies knew each other before. You know, there was a couple exceptions, but most of the, the women there knew each other before the class. So they had that familiarity with each other. And, you know, once one person kind of breaks the ice, it makes it easier um, and more comfortable for everyone else. And I really love how the women in our area, you know, since we started getting more ladies into shooting, I think there's like 12 or 15 of us or something now. So we have a group chat on Facebook and we've really built a community um, out of being female shooters in Minnesota and, and slash just across the border in Wisconsin. So don't forget Amy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we have this great group of females that we can bounce ideas off of each other and we've built a community out of it. And that really encourages us to, you know, show up to matches. Otherwise maybe we wouldn't have attended and be brave about um, trying new things because we can bounce it off of other people and just share our accomplishments and our failures because failure is all part of the learning process. I've really found that to be rewarding and helpful. So anytime you can get, you know, a community like that started, I feel like maybe there's a sense of that in that area um, now that there's a few more ladies going. And, you know, I'm hoping that that Kind of takes off for them too because that's been something really special in my life uh since we got that going so yeah i was really excited thinking about them and how much they'll be able to support each other after the fact because yep you can go to an intro class you can maybe go to a a match but to have that community to continue that process of building and growing and, and learning together i think is going to be huge for them to really really buy into that and to, to understand it and to go oh what did ruth say or how did michelle say that what was that thing that was this? And they can truly help each other because they've all heard the same things and they can build that knowledge up together. So I think I'm excited for them. It is definitely a really nice thing to have. You know, um, we have a lot of shooting conversations and we have a lot of non-shooting conversations, um, but it is nice, you know, when one of us has a success at a match, um, we can share it with the group and everybody's really happy for you. Um, I think most of us are at least somewhat competitive, if not with each other, with ourselves. Um, so it's, it's nice to get that, hey, congratulations from um, everybody else in the group um, and to be able to help each other out when we do have issues because sometimes we don't shoot as well as we want. Um, and it's nice to be able to talk about that too. Agreed. So switching gears a little bit, uh, can you ladies share with the audience what your best experience has been since starting shooting, either, you know, in terms of mentorship or a particular match experience or anything that really resonates with you as, as a really positive experience just for the ladies who maybe are listening and haven't quite jumped on the ship yet and maybe are a little hesitant or nervous too? Particular experience. I think probably the first time I got a trophy and I'm still in shock. <laughs> like, Wait a minute, what? I, at an X match, no at, less. At an X match, no less. And it was, I think, only my second X match. Uh, and just the, the shock of 
really, I, I did that. Um, <clears throat> and, and even more recently, the few times where it's been like, I've been so close or so close that I got third or so close that I almost got third or every point counts. And just that, that transition of growing through the learning process of this sport and just the support of everybody who gets excited with you and for you as you have those wins and you and the support for the times when you don't have the wins and when you have the failures and uh, the, the community and, and the, the way of going through that and getting sharing that opportunity or those things that happen that, that community is just so key to this really it's helpful to bring all that forward absolutely so I of course getting a trophy is like a major thing that I think of. Um, but for me, the one thing that I know outside of getting a trophy that I was super excited about was um, when I went to one of your and Justin's matches and I was four tenths of a point behind first place. But that was a big deal to me because Minnesota's got a lot of really good lady shooters. Um, and to see myself actually improving to the point that I was that close. Um, and I have taken home some first place ladies trophies since then, but that meant a lot to me. Um, and then not even at a big match at monthly matches, it's been super cool for me to be able to um, set up some ladies only squads. I seriously, my favorite squads are when we do a ladies only squad. We are definitely the, the funnest squad in those matches. Um, so it's really cool to have enough of us now that shoot that we can do that on occasion and uh, let the guys have their own squads and and we do our own thing and and just totally enjoy the day. Yeah, I think that's for sure true. I think a turning point for me has definitely been after the class that Teresa took a year and a half ago. We had a match where we were trying to get the most lady shooters. And I think Hobble Creek beat us, or maybe it was the Misfits. I don't know. You guys suck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are great. And I keep, keep doing what you're doing. But we had a, we had 16 ladies that month. And that was sort of the beginning of establishing this lady shooting group. And for me, watching um, this, you know, invasion of ladies into the sport has been so much fun because I, I you know, really like enjoy hanging around the men and obviously enjoy a lot of you know male dominated activities my career field is in a male dominated space every once in a while it's really fun to just have a group of ladies especially ones that are like-minded and enjoy the same things I do because we can hop in a minivan and drive from Minnesota to North Carolina <laughs> and we can show up at a range where there's uh not too many other females and make a big spectacle and put pigtail braids in that match and have matching fingernails. And, um, we can, we can just go out and have a lot of fun and then we can take home, you know, three of the trophies out of the four of us in the car, um, out of the seven available, including Dakota Wright won the young gun. So we had, you know, four females up there on the podium for that match, which was really cool to see. Um, it's just, it's so much fun having, uh, other women out there doing this. And I love seeing all the women in the NRL 22 stuff on Facebook, sharing their accomplishments and just seeing um, other lady shooters grow and learn and, and develop. It's been really cool for me. So 
I really enjoy, um, for those of you listening who, who throw your stuff up there, I love seeing that stuff. So keep at it, keep sharing it. Um, like Teresa mentioned before, it's not all about the wins either. Um, you know, part of, part of this sport is failing and, uh, sometimes failing again and sharing those failures becomes important too. I know Boyd Linder, um, he just shared, he just shared some match results where he was like, he must've been mid-pack. I'm just going to be polite and not say what place you were, Boyd, (laughs) but Basically he, he was ended up a lot lower than he expected to, but I just had such an appreciation for someone like him who finishes in the top, um, pretty consistently, you know, top five, top 10 shooter, um, sharing his individual failures. So it makes me feel better when I end up in mid pack and have a, you know, a rough match or something like that. So make sure that you guys are, you know, not doing the social media thing where everything's buttoned up and perfect, but you're also sharing you know, your struggles and your failures too, because I think it makes us all better and uh, definitely helps make me feel better. So if you guys share your failures, I'll feel good about myself. So <laughs> I agree. Um, and I agree with seeing things on social media, you know, um, if there's women out there or girls out there um, that see the posts on social media and see that there's other women, there's other girls out there doing it. I think that's going to be more encouraging to them to see Um, Like I said, when I started, I was pretty much the only lady and I still stuck through it and I still kept doing it, but uh, it's definitely gotten to be more fun when I actually have competition during a monthly match in my class, um, instead of just knowing that as soon as I pull the trigger, woohoo, I won my class. Um, While that was fun, um, I, I would way rather have more ladies out there and and being able to see the pictures out there, I think helps other people realize that, you know, if they can do it, maybe I can too. I was thinking about another turning point. It's kind of what you were looking for. It was actually like this last weekend, like being included with you two, going down to Missouri to teach and to be that, that part Mm -hmm. of that group in the community to help grow and having the confidence within myself to be able to teach others other ladies how to do this and uh, pretty successfully, I think from the weekend and the feedback that we got, it was really fantastic and becoming, going from student to teacher. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's for sure. I know uh, even, even at this point I get, I'm like, really, you want to learn from me? Uh, So (laughs) I, I know that feeling really well. And I think that's another really good point is there's no one who's too new at this to introduce someone else to the sport. So getting out there and, and talking to people in your life is important. Um, bringing new people in. Uh, I think one of the really cool things that I saw recently, one of our other lady shooters brought a couple of women to our ladies only range day we did back in January. I don't know why we were doing that in January because that range was available and what else do we have to do in Minnesota in January right well I think that's what led us to this uh this class in Missouri because I think I think Eric saw the uh the post about that ladies range day is how this all ended up anyway so sure led us to Minnesota in the middle of winter and Missouri in the middle of the heat summer we've got that backwards (laughs) right um but I think you know seeing two people who never shot through a rifle with a scope on it before pretty cool. One person had never shot a gun before. And, you know, it creating a safe space for people to come try something that they've never done before is huge. So I think 
if we're going to, if we're going to share, you know, some ways that people could get more women involved, I think one, one thing for sure is to create a low key, low stress, uh, environment for people to try it. So I know we always say show up to imagine shoot. And I still believe in that. And I think that's um, firmly true, but I think we'll catch more ladies, uh, comfort if we can provide, you know, some time before or after a match to try stuff out mm-hmm. where there's not a time constraint, where there's not a bunch of people watching you and your squad, even though everyone in this, in this, uh, community is amazingly welcome and so great. I still think, you know, having that low stress environment is, is important. So what do you guys think? I know I brought a, a friend and her daughter to a match, uh, and my friend had shot before, not the style of shooting before. Her daughter had never shot before. And the daughter watched and she participated. My friend participated. It was, it was, she, was, she was a trooper. She knew enough and she could take in the inputs and she could take through everything. And uh, I, I walked her through everything and it was really amazing. And at the end of the day, I offered up to let her daughter shoot. And at first it was like, no, no, I don't know. No, no. And then it was like, well, well, maybe. I suppose, it, could I? Would that be okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Come on, let's just get down, get you behind the rifle, send a, a mag full down, round, down range. And it was fantastic. And then the next one they came to, they both shot and she went, she was, the daughter was fantastic. She just ate it up just as much as the mom did. So it was really fun to see that and to have that, but hadn't not been for that space, like she was not ready to jump in and shoot, but having watched an entire match, understood the mechanics of even just how a rifle works, she really picked it up quick and it was really awesome to see her just grow through that. I love that. I love the mother-daughter combos too. We see a lot of father-daughter combos, which I also love, but the mother-daughter thing is pretty new and I, I, I get a kick out of it. So I love seeing that range for sure. I think that just encouraging, you know, if you've got spouses or girlfriends or daughters that are coming to matches and watching, um, you know, keep offering even though you offered last time and they said no, and they just wanted to watch you offer it again. Um, when I match direct, if there's women that come with their significant others or dads or whatever, I will always forever, every single time ask them if they want to shoot. Um, I hadn't actually thought about offering up some time after the match, but, uh, that might be something that I add when, when we've got people that come to watch and just be Mm -hmm. like, Hey, when the match is over, if you want a chance, I think that's a really good idea, but um, keep asking because you just never know when today is going to be the day that they've decided that they've watched enough. That they're comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I know that happened with the, my own daughter. I think I brought her to one of your matches, Michelle, and she came to watch and through the match, she did the clicker and she did the counting and she started doing some of the jobs as we do going through the stages and she got a little more comfortable at the end. It was, you know, do you want to shoot? This is a great time. There's already steel down range. We can do this. And no, no. Well, are you sure? Cause it'd be really easy. It's right here. The rifles are, they're still shooting. We've got time. It's not like we're making special time for you. They're still shooting the match. So that was a part of the elements that made her more comfortable too. Is I don't want to inconvenience people is right. really a thing too. Oh, it's it's like, huge. Yeah. It's huge. So she got down and she got in and she's like, mom, don't take any pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dear. You won't take any pictures. Sorry, dear, if you're listening and this is embarrassing to you. <laughs> but by the end of it, she was like, okay, you could take my picture now. Yeah. <laughs> right. She's Just comfortable. getting to that comfort level. And she did fantastic behind the rifle. She's had some shooting before she had hunter safety because we do have rifles around the house, but that was 
a decade ago for her, right? It was a long time ago. So having that time and space where it is not an inconvenience for anyone and is not a big deal, we're here anyway, everything's set up. We're not going out of our way for this. We're just using the time we have. And she was more than happy to use it then. So let's talk logistics for a minute because I can't go through an entire podcast episode without mentioning bathrooms. Um, <laughs> They're very important. They are. Very so, important. So I apologize to the people who have heard this a million times, but let's come up with some other things as well. Logistically speaking, though, to make things uh, welcome for females at your club, a couple of things that people don't often think about, even myself as a match director, I didn't necessarily always consider is proximity to the bathroom is huge. Um, having garbage cans in the bathroom, also necessary, especially if you have an outhouse. Uh, so, you know, make sure that there's bathrooms accessible to the ladies. That's a big deal. Um, we also typically like to wash our hands after using the bathroom or, you know, hand sanitizer. I know these are like little things, but these are things I've come across quite a bit at the, at the range. So things that, you know, guys don't necessarily have to worry about or think about, um, those are huge. What other things logistics wise can help uh, make women feel more comfortable at the range or at a match that you guys have seen? I think those are like the biggest things. Um, I've been at matches where um, there were bathrooms, but the doors didn't lock. And that's kind of really important to me. Um, <laughs> if I'm going to shoot, I don't want to hold it through the whole match. And I'm not going to use a bathroom if the door doesn't lock because like that would be my absolute worst nightmare would be having someone walk in on me. Um, other than bathrooms, you know, you probably should be thinking about prop height for your young guns too. But um, a lot of women are a lot shorter than men. And um, when I did a center fire match, when I first started out, I got handed a like fluffy backpack to stand on um, because I couldn't reach the top of the prop. And um, that was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done with a gun in my hand. And I just don't believe in making people stand on things that aren't safe. So um, just think about your prop height, um, especially when you're doing extra stages and there are things that aren't in the regular course of fire. Um, you just never know when you're gonna have someone short show up um, and they wanna be able to shoot it, but it has to be safe. Yeah, and speaking of, so for those who don't know, and I think this is still true unless things, statistics have changed in the last 10 years, the average height for a female is five foot six. And I happen to be five foot five and three quarters. So I know if I go up to a prop and it's too short or it's too tall, that the prop is probably too tall in general if I'm the average size for females. So you add young guns in as well. And now you have, you know, a whole group of shooters that can't adequately reach the top of this prop. And I don't know about you ladies, but if I'm in, in a match, I've gotten much better about this. So I have no problem going up to a match director and telling them, hey, I can't reach. So I'd like to, um, you know, like, what's your plan for me, basically? But I never, when I first started shooting, would say anything. I would just tough it out somehow if I was on my tippy toes, which, by the way, is not really <laughs> safe or fair either. I don't I don't think it's a it's a good idea. So you know, something to consider is that a lot of ladies aren't going to complain or say anything. So you really have to consider uh, some of this stuff on their behalf. That's very true. Um, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was like actually comfortable saying, you know what, I just, I can't do this one. So what can I do? 
And even then, I still feel a little awkward when I have to ask for accommodations because I, I, I will, though, say that I won't stand on my tiptoes anymore. I, I've done it, and I, it's not super safe. So um, I at least will do that. But, you know, your new lady shooters aren't probably going to want to make waves and try and ask you for accommodations. So if you can think of that before the match starts, I think it's going to help them out. The thing I was thinking about for logistics um, is food <laughs> and just knowing like the first match I went to, I had no idea how long it would be. And by the time lunchtime rolled around, I was getting to be a little hangry and a little <laughs> exhausted and a little, oh my gosh, right? So I, I didn't, part of that's on me. I didn't even know and understand how long it would be, but having food, water, something, snacks, it doesn't have to be a, a sit down meal. I mean, obviously it's not going to be, but something to help maintain sanity and maintain a <laughs> level head because I when I get hangry, it's not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And something that, you know, I forget because I've had emergency granola bars in my range bag since probably my first match where I didn't realize how long it was going to be and I didn't have food and I got hangry. So that's, that's a really, really good point that we can kind of take away as MDs to have some, some snacks on hand if, uh, if possible, especially for new people and or communicating that out in advance for people who are new. Cause this is something where we try to encourage new people to come all the time, but yeah, that's a really, really good point where maybe we aren't communicating effectively. Right. I mean, now I always bring food and snacks and I've got my favorites, but it's the, this is here if you need it, right? There's, there's a, an emergency pack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> here's your protein, here's your carbs, here's your, here's your sustenance of food because it's really hard to shoot when you are lightheaded and or just not with it yes or just frustrated and, and angry because you're <laughs> hungry yes yes Those absolutely things. anything else you guys can think of for logistics and in terms of ways we can make things more comfortable for more women who want to come out and shoot I know I appreciate uh, during the winter matches when MDs have extra hand warmers and toe warmers mm -hmm. and in the summer sunscreen sunscreen <laughs> yes sunscreen bug spray there's some ranges that get an awful lot of mosquitoes here in minnesota mm -hmm. and um, that's something we try to keep around um, but yeah you know and having water in the summer um, if you're a new shooter and you show up and you don't realize how long the match is going to go and it's 95 degrees with 112 percent humidity um, having water <laughs> is really good for um, new shooters in general, well, for all your shooters, because if people forget it, it borders on dangerous. So um, I think that's something logistically that will help everyone, not just your lady shooters. Yeah, I think all these logistics are actually better for everyone, if you think about it. But, you know, it's really about maximizing on that first experience to get to get them hooked, get, get your hooks in and make sure there's not anything, you know, discomfort wise that's going to prevent people from wanting to come back. I think is a big thing. Um, something else I, I thought of is if you're shooting as a family, so dad, mom, and kids, uh, make sure mom's not in charge of the kids while she's trying to learn how to shoot too. Um, because I, I think it's extra stressful when you're trying to manage yourself and someone else. 
Um, so, you know, if you can manage the kids and have her just trying to manage herself, I think that's plenty to do during a match. Yeah, I can't imagine when I was super overwhelmed when I first started. So I can't imagine trying to help someone else and myself at the same time. I think that's a really good point too, especially, you know, if you're all new together, um, talk to the match director in advance and see if you can get some experienced people to help you out because those people can help um, with the questions and stuff and, and help aid and coach the kids too. But make sure that you guys are dividing those duties up well, or if you're more experienced um, and you bring your wife along and you've got the kids, you know, maybe take the kids for her and, and have her, like Michelle said, be in charge of herself. That totally makes sense. I think that um, when we do have new shooters, this kind of just happens, but you have them, like you said, with people who are more experienced, but having like that buddy to go, I'm your buddy, I'm your contact. You know, it's been a few things where like we've helped some of the <clears throat> younger female shooters and just said, I'm now your range mom, I'm your squad mom. You come to me for whatever you need. Uh, whatever questions you have and just having that person to be uh, part of that and, and making sure that you're not shooting back to back in order on your squad, making sure that you have some time to work with them, to digest, talk through things, to have just that, that buddy, that person that you, you know, you can ask anything of, and that's your, your trainer for the day. Perfect. That's a great suggestion. I think that's again, something that can be applied to any new shooter. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece of advice. So basically what we're talking about today is specifically our experiences as females and what we've learned being around other females, but it really can apply to introducing anyone to the sport in so many ways. Um, I know a, a lot of men who can relate to similar experiences that I've had from, you know, even the confidence standpoint and things like that. Um, these are just things that I think, um, especially men who are really experienced in the sport or ha have started out at center fire and other competition, um, you know, maybe things that don't occur to them as often. Uh, and since I do get the question quite a bit to, you know, try and get more women out there, I think that's really good points. Um, the only thing that I'll add to the sunscreen comment and the hand warmers is electronic hand warmers and heated socks <laughs> work wonders in the cold months. And you can get them relatively inexpensive on Amazon. In fact, I will put a URL to the ones that I have in the podcast so that you guys can see them because that was life altering for me in terms of being willing to stand outside in the winter. So big, big case in point for me, I, you know, I hunted growing up a little bit, but the, you know, willingness to go outside and freeze my butt off, uh, for, for hours at a time, just, you know, dissipated the older I got. So the idea of going back out to freeze my butt off repeatedly uh, for a sport, I thought, you know, these people are crazy. There's no way I'm going to go outside in the winter and participate in this. And now, you know, here I am every winter doing it. So those are huge things, making sure it's comfortable and not miserable for people. Um, that's a big deal. Thinking of another logistics thing and something that I think we talked about maybe a like a year ago when I was <clears throat> first starting, the first thing you have to do in a match is once the range is hot, you zero your rifle. Not knowing what you're doing during that and being on this line of everybody doing stuff and not having someone to help you through that process when you're new at it is very uncomfortable. Or you just pass it off to your significant other or to a friend or just here you do this. That doesn't help me build my skills. 
And I think as we built our group of ladies, it was like, okay, let's buddy, buddy. I don't want to work with my spouse. I want to work with another female to sit there and help me zero in my rifle because I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And having that, that comfort and that, that person to help you with that and to help each other really, and just help to sight and see and make the adjustments that you need to, to get that rifle zero. So you do have a good experience at the match or the best possible experience. Yeah. I think having your independence is huge too. And Mm -hmm. I remember when Justin finally taught me how to bore sight my gun and I was able to get on paper every time for starting out, it was completely shifted my mindset in terms of how independent I could be. Cause otherwise I can't tell you how many times I shot and had no idea where my bullet was going. And then I take another shot and I still had no idea. And I take another one. And I'd be like, I can't. And I do exactly what you said. I'd say, Justin, get over here and help me zero my rifle. So, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to cover in the class uh, last weekend for people who are interested, because I think it makes a huge difference when you have the ability to service and clean and zero and mount scopes and things like that. It makes you a lot more independent uh, as a shooter. So I, you know, those, those are things that you can learn over time too. And I don't think brand new shooters should necessarily have to worry about that immediately out of the gate, but that's one of the earlier things that I think um, will be good to teach people. Again, pulling them away from the group. Cause as Teresa mentioned, this is like a group, everyone's watching, even though no one's watching you, if there's people around, you feel like everyone's watching you. So having that, you know, kind of private time almost to talk through some of those things and teach those things is helpful as well. I think that since we have the bigger group of female shooters, the, my own personal level of independence in my shooting and my shooting gear has drastically increased, um, which has worked out great for Nate because now he doesn't have to concentrate on me. He can just concentrate (laughs) on himself. Um, Going back to what Teresa said about working with another female. So um, if you've got a female shooter at your range or in your area um, and you've got a female that you want to get shooting, maybe check with that, the one that already is and see if um, you can exchange information and um, just have her talk with whoever it is that you want to get shooting. Because um, it, it might help to have a, a female reach out and say, hey, you know, I shoot, you want to come to the range sometime and, uh, you know, shoot my gun or whatever. That's a great idea. I love that idea. So now, uh, since we're, we've got on quite a bit here, it's time to shift gears and do the Q&A session. Are you ladies okay helping me answer some questions from listeners? Sure. sure. All right. So I only got two emails from listeners for this month. Um, so you all have a lot more work to do when it comes to emailing us. So if you have a question or you have a topic that you want us to discuss, uh, email podcast at nrl22.org. Um, so This question comes from Gary Goldley and he's new to the sport and new to guns and he's at a new range doing NRL 22 for the first time. He wants to talk about uh, all the things that you need to know to start a a club with NRL 22, um, such as who's the RO when you only have a small group and can the MD and RO compete? And what about non NRL 22 members? Can they compete? Um, So let's start with those questions. So, uh, 
I match direct and compete. Uh, Nate and I match direct at our, our range. Um, the range already had pre-existing NRL 22 matches and we took over when someone else stepped down. Um, but yeah, we do compete and we squads RO themselves. We're just doing monthly matches. So squads RO themselves. Um, pretty much everyone is a safety officer. If you see someone doing something they shouldn't, I expect that you're going to tell them. Um, and if it becomes a major issue, then you get the match director and we'll take care of it. But um, yes, match directors, as far as I know, pretty much all match directors compete for their monthly matches um, and everyone's a safety officer. Some clubs might require a dedicated safety officer, but that's, you know, you have to find out what the rules are for your club. And I think the pieces I can add there is, you know, can non-NRL 22 members shoot? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's awesome to have them come. I don't think I joined as a member for several months until mm -hmm. it was maybe the, that turnover in the year for that. Yeah, but, you started in February and the, and yeah. the new season started in June. So, so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then I joined in, but uh, there's always no pressure to be a member to come and shoot and have a good time. Right. We like to we like to invite anyone who wants to come out and try it to come shoot. And really becoming a member is more about supporting this organization that's done so much to build the sport and to help them continue operating, um, tracking scores, things like that. So being a, an NRL 22 member is, is about your joining the larger uh, national communities. So it's not necessary for shooting on a local level. Um, but we, we do encourage it at our club by we charge $20 for non-members and $15 per match for members. So that's kind of our way to, to try and encourage people um, to become members to support the organization. But again, we just want people to show up and shoot. So definitely leave that open. Um, so here's a good question um, from Gary on the same topic. What makes a good match? Well, so I assume he's talking about monthly matches again. So obviously you're going to do the five NRL 22 stages, but we like to add extra stages in. Um, just for fun, uh, depending on the month. We, we, during the winter when it was 20 below, we just did the five NRL 22 stages. Uh, but we try to base our extra stages on what the rest of the stages are like. Um, if it's a particularly hard NRL 22 month, then we do some easy stages um, just so people can get some impacts. Um, so I think just, you know, read your group of people that are out there shooting. We do two to three extra stages. Um, it depends on the month. Sometimes we have super fun, exciting themes and we might come up with more extra stages. Um, that's what we do. I'm good at everything Michelle said. Yes, ditto and then some. And uh, I love everything that Ruth loves to do at her matches to make it fun, decorations. <laughs> little trinkets and if there's the Hawaiian theme match little flowers that are biggest to wear everything that makes it just maybe that's more silly but it's fun it mm -hmm. gets me coming back um <clears throat> and and just the what makes a good match is the welcomeness and the camaraderie you get from everybody just pulling together and having a good time at a match and getting through all the stages the side stages are silly sometimes and super fun and challenging uh, sometimes they're really challenging, but it's also like, wait, you want me to do what? Okay, I'll give it a try. I mean, stretches your abilities to a, a new level, which is always 
fun for those of us that like to compete, which is like most of us. <laughs> most of us, yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. So for for those who haven't shot our monthly matches, the things Teresa's referring to, um, I'll just add a little bit to the, you know, the method behind the madness for some of that stuff. So we our first themed match was for Christmas a few years, like three years ago, I think we hosted a match for Christmas and we made people dress up in a Santa suit and wear a belly and then shoot from prone. And we made people uh, eat Christmas cookies and before they could shoot at their target and just some goofy stuff. And people had so much fun with it. It's like a light bulb went off in my head and we ended up hosting a tropical theme the next month, which was January, obviously in Minnesota. Um, not very <laughs> tropical, right? Outside, not at all. But you know, the match was very tropical. It was quite cold, um, but we had a great time, and the the pictures like blew up and on Facebook, and people just had so much fun at the match, and then afterwards laughing at us at the match, um, freezing our butts off in the snow, wearing you know bathing suits to shoot in, and things like that. Um, so then when when uh, February came along that year, we decided to do a Valentine's theme. And I remember I found these heart bead necklaces that occurred to me I could get those similar to the Hawaiian lace. And what I did was I told everyone when they checked in, if you aren't, you have to wear yours. Cause if you don't wear it, then I don't know that you checked in. And I don't know that you paid, which was true. And I stick to that, but <laughs> it wasn't necessarily necessary. It's just, it's, if you get everybody participating, everyone feels stupid together, which builds this camaraderie. <laughs> and I, I will say that, you know, it's stupid and it's just fun. But when you see, you know, other people enjoying the stupid fun with you and, you know, feeling uncomfortable, because I'm, I never was someone who wanted to do, draw attention to myself like that either. And, you know, I don't want to wear this flowery necklace thing or whatever, but because everyone's doing it together, we all have that same feeling. And then when you look back at the pictures later, you know, it just gives you a sense of fun that Absolutely. that's being had. So that's kind of some of the context. And I, I do stupid decorations too, which is just stupid, you know. silly and fun. Exactly. It's just for fun. So, um, so Gary's also asking what preparations are we forgetting about? And he must listen to the podcast quite a bit because he said that they have a porta potty. So yes, very good. <laughs> good job. Good job. And, and Gary, I feel like we covered a lot of that in this podcast already, you know, in terms of hand sanitizer and things like that. And you, he also asked about um, food and drinks, which we also kind of covered. So typically for our monthly matches, we provide water in the winter. Sometimes we'll provide hot cocoa. Um, we try to remember to bring like a bunch of bananas or, you know, if we have extra granola bars, we'll, we'll bring those too. It's not necessary, but it's, it's nice to have for people. So again, if you didn't remember or didn't know, you don't get hangry. And I think Teresa's first match was my match. So that was probably my fault that she was hangry. <laughs> so. Well, in my range, we will provide water if it's really hot out um, because it's a safety issue. We don't really provide food, but we might have to think about that. Um, but we have club rules that we have to follow too that kind of dictate what we can and can't do. Um, I think as far as the food and water goes, set your expectations so that your shooters know what they can expect. Mm -hmm. um, we don't provide water every month because it would get really expensive for us to do that um, as a club. But if it's really hot, it, I don't matter. I don't care if everyone's already got a bottle of water. We're going to have a case of water there to make sure that um, everyone stays safe. 
I think with that, the expectation of how long it's going to take, I appreciate our little community of uh, calendar events and knowing the time roughly of when it's going to start and end. So you can have that idea of, oh, I'm going to get there at eight and I'm going to be there till two. That's really helpful, I think, to have that perspective. I don't think I had the calendar when I started and we didn't, I didn't have that perspective. So that would have helped to go I should really bring something for lunch mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't, I don't make it all day without food. So if you know <laughs> how long your match goes approximately, um, when you put out your, your match registration, put that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that way people know, yes. you know, if I were showing up to a match and it's mm-hmm. going from eight to four and it doesn't say you're feeding me, then the light bulb might go off in my head to say, maybe I better bring a snack with me or I might not survive. And it does totally depend on how many people show up. I get that. Absolutely. But if it's at least a rough estimate, you can get that concept and that's super helpful for planning ahead. So on that same topic, um, he wants to know how we make sure we run it on time. Mm -hmm. And this is something that uh, (laughs) at different points in time in match directing over the last few years, it's a little bit of a learning curve. So what we do for sure to make sure that we start on time is we put out what time registration and check-in start, what time site-in starts, what time site-in ends. And when site-in ends, we make sure that people know five minutes before that, that they have five minutes left, and then we're going to start the safety brief. So we just make sure that we start within five minutes of ending uh, the site-in with our safety brief. And if you miss the safety brief, you don't get to shoot the match because you, you don't get to shoot the match if you don't know what the safety uh, safety rules are. So then we got better and better about our safety brief. So now we actually read it off a sheet of paper and that way we're not you know fumbling over our words and trying to remember, did we forget anything and who's got things to remember? Um, and we do a quick walkthrough of the bonus stages. So we just try to keep that brief Um, and answer questions. And then I give us extra time in our timeline. I give us, I think, 30 minutes to do the safety brief and the walkthrough, which isn't um, how much time you need. But I put, you know, 30 minutes after the start of the safety brief is the match start. And typically, when we conclude the safety brief, we all, you know, go get our tablets, break into squads, and then people can actually start shooting at that match start time that's listed. So that's how how we do that piece. In terms of making sure that the match flows well, and that you get out of there on time, definitely balancing the squads is huge for this, making sure that you have at least one person in each squad who knows uh, kind of what they're doing. Um, they can help lead some of the newer people through it. So it really, if you have a newer club and a whole lot of new people, you're going to all learn together for, for starters. But some of this other stuff, you know, if you have more experienced people, it's going to help you um, kind of keep things flowing. We run ours pretty much the same way, although we don't give a match start time. We give a safety brief slash match start. Um, so then as soon as we're done with our safety brief, we can start. Um, and I, we do our registration through practice score. And on the registration, I added a checkbox. So if someone is a new shooter, which we arbitrarily set at, if you've shot five or less of this style of match, Um, We have them check the box and it explains on there that we're having them check it so that we can make sure that they're with experienced people. Um, I think that helps because we've had times where before we did that, we would have an entire squad where maybe one person had any experience. So 
um, having that checkbox in there lets me as the match director, lets us as the match directors um, spread out those new shooters. Because if you get a full squad of new shooters, they're definitely going to take longer than a full squad of seasoned shooters. So he also wants to know how we can get more members. And I think part of that is similar to how, how we answered this question about how to get more ladies involved, you know, providing opportunities to learn in low pressure situations. Um, the only thing that I think we haven't mentioned that we probably should have uh, because it made a big difference this last weekend was loaner rifles, loaner systems, um, which a little bit touches on his next question about can we get sponsors and should we seek sponsors? Um, and I will say that the best use of sponsor relationships that we've had has been our loaner rifle program where we've been able to get accessories, um, optics and things like that from manufacturers who are interested in supporting new shooters. So if you reach out and tell them, you know, here's how many people, you know, we plan to expose it to, or we're a new club and we're starting up and we could use some help or direction or guidance. Um, that, that's a huge program. Um, if you can make it available to new shooters, if they don't have equipment yet, that way they get to try the sport before they end up buying their own rifle. What else do you guys think about new members and sponsors? New members, make it fun. Make it fun, make it welcoming. Again, give them opportunities. You know, we've, yeah, covered a lot of that, but it's, it's worth sitting again. It's gotta be something that people feel comfortable doing and coming and, and learning because it is, there is a, a big learning curve for someone who's never, ever shot before. I've never shot a rifle before this. I had shot a handgun a few times, but the learning curve is ginormous for some, not for all. Um, and just being aware of that and, and having that welcoming experience and having a buddy to really help you through and uh, getting that support even after the match of, you know, you know, Let's connect on Facebook. Let's connect on whatever. And uh, if you have any questions, let me know. And you want me to invite you to the next match, you know, and continue that conversation after the match as well, not just at the match. I agree. I think that being welcoming is probably the biggest thing. You know, if someone shows up at your match, you want to make sure that um, someone goes and talks to them. Um, they might be the kind of person that doesn't want to come interrupt and get in your space. Um, but it, it goes a long way to go over and have a conversation with them um, and just to really make them feel like you actually want them to be there. Um, those people are going to be more likely to come back than if someone goes to a match and, um, you know, everybody's in their little groups and having their own conversations and then maybe they don't feel like they need to be there. So um, just try and include those new people when they're there. I think that's become my favorite thing to do with a match is squad with people I've never squatted with before, right? Meeting new people, getting those connections. It, it, so many people in this sport are so fantastic. And it's just fun to have that, those connections. I completely agree. But uh, really cool to be part of this community. And I, I'd love to continue to invite more people into it. Um, I will say the only other thing I can think of in terms of new people is uh, you're, when you're first starting out with matches. Uh, I don't know if this is true in all parts of the country, but for sure in Minnesota, most of the communicating that goes on about matches happens on Facebook. 
So, you know, if you aren't on Facebook and you want to direct matches, I recommend maybe starting a page for your club, if nothing else. So you have an opportunity to interact with people and get the word out. And it makes it easy to, to advertise events. Um, there's a bunch of different NRL 22 groups out there that you can join or start. We have a Minnesota NRL 22 page that we post all of our match events to and things like that. And it's just really helpful in terms of communicating uh, about your match and advertising your match and sharing the photos afterwards. Um, that's huge. Having, you know, someone snap some pictures of people shooting. Uh, it definitely, you know, helps people remember the match and helps newer people see, oh, look at those people shooting. I think I could have fun doing that too. Mm -hmm. And regarding Facebook, if there's other clubs in your area, it's nice to work with the other clubs. Um, we've got quite a few clubs in Minnesota that do uh, 22 shooting, and we try and all work together to make sure we're not scheduling matches the day that another club schedules a match. Um, because that allows all of our shooters to go shoot multiple matches a month. And we have a lot of shooters that will shoot um, one, two, three matches a month because we set it up to allow them to be able to do that. Two matches a weekend, three matches a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two a weekend sometimes around here. It's super For sure. fun. Um, awesome. So Todd's Barger, along the same lines, and I apologize if I'm butchering your last name, Todd. Uh, he wants to know if we have any recommendations on best way to approach a gun club in his local area on starting NRL 22 matches at the club. So this one is uh, something that I've, you know, talked to a few people about recently. It seems like there's a lot of people that are looking at starting up new clubs, which is really exciting, uh, especially in some areas that don't have any or haven't had any. So I would say if the first um, the first thing that you need to do is talk to either the range owner or the board or whoever is in charge of uh, the rules and events at the club. That would be step number one because you're going to want to find out you know how many rules do they have in terms of bullets impacting the berms and how far you can shoot and can you shoot at steel because some clubs won't allow that and then really educating them on what NRL 22 is, uh, is where I would start. And educating them about how popular the sport is and how many new shooters it can bring in and young shooters it can bring in and how, how uh, you know, many people it can draw into the club, I think is where I would start. Mm -hmm. I have the same question, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have no answers. <laughs> Talk to other match directors. Um, I I didn't have to start our club. It, it already was going when I started, but um, I do know that it took time to get the board to buy into having this type of shooting happening there. Um, if there's other clubs that are even reasonably close in your area, maybe your range owner or board can go and watch a match um, and see how it's run. And that might help them. Or you can go record parts of a match to show what this type of shooting is all about um, to, to help them understand what it is and how it is that we make it safe. Right. There's quite a few videos out on YouTube right now, too, if you want to um, take a peek at those and see if there's any that are helpful, you know, to someone to help understand what the context looks like. I think that would be helpful, too. Good. 
Well, thank you guys very much for your questions. I really appreciate it. So again, I'm going to plug, if you guys have questions or um, comments or feedback, uh, please email me at podcast at nrl22.org and we'll address those on the next one. Um, I really want to thank you two ladies for joining me both last weekend and in the North Carolina at that X match and at, at the range every month and also um, especially on the podcast tonight to give your perspectives on this very fun and important topic. Um, do you guys have any other final thoughts that you want to leave the audience with tonight? Wow, that's such an open-ended question. <laughs> it really is. And we, we've done this brain job. Is there anything left? I'm sure there is. If I dig deep enough, I'll find something. But nothing is really coming top of mind. This has been great. This is really fun. It has. Just, uh, you know, like we've said before, encourage your uh, females in your life to come out and join you um, and keep trying. Ask more than once. You never know when she might change her mind and want to come with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for listening and until next time, keep sharing the love.